but it's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you, Greg, for leading us in worship and those that help him in leading us. Thank you, Courtney, um, for leading in that song. It is so good to hear such a uh, multitude of people leading us in worship. So appreciate you being here. Thank you, young men, for taking up the offering. I hope you have a Bible with you. And if you do, I want you to take it and turn with me to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. Also, when you came in, hopefully you got a bulletin. On the back of that bulletin will be some notes if you want to uh, use those as we work through God's Word together. Of course, there's all kinds of information about the church on the inside, but on the back side there's sets of notes. I want to use that and reference that as we study God's Word together. We have been in the uh, book of Joshua for some time looking at what it means to be successful. And not what it means to be successful in the eyes of the world, but what it means to be successful... In the eyes of God. And what does it look like both individually and as a corporate body of believers to be successful. And so I've been trying to, as we've gone through this uh, book of Joshua, I've been trying to hand you or, or point you to what I find as being keys to success. Things that we glean from God's word is saying, okay, if you're going to be successful individually, and corporately, then these are the things you need to do. And so I've been trying to give you just some some simple words, just some ideas of these are practices that we need to employ in order to be successful both individually and as a church. So this morning, we're going to look at the subject of faith. Now I realize a lot of times we say, oh, Spence, don't worry about it. We know faith, faith, faith. We've got it. But faith is something that is easy for us to talk about, but not always easy for us to practice. It seemed like a just a short winks of an eye ago that Eli was about one years old and there in the house we lived we had a crib and attached to it was the changing table and I would set Eli up on the changing table and I would change his diapers because it's okay for men to change diapers and I would I remember that Evan and I, and I, and I would uh, I would set Eli up there on the changing table I would change his diaper and then I would stand him up on the changing table and, and you probably have done this before but uh, originally you'd start off you'd just pick him up and set him down and here go do something and then you'd start moving back a little ways right You're, you, am I the only person that's ever done this this isn't child abuse I promise but I, I would set him up and I would tell him now now lean forward and I'd have my hands outstretched and he would have to either lean forward or we got adventurous enough that he would actually jump he would launch himself off of that changing table and I would catch him and there's this little game to say how much do you trust dad are you willing to launch yourself off of the changing table into my arms now as far as I know Eli may differ but my record I have a perfect record I never dropped him I never missed him I always caught him but there was a little game that we had I would change his diaper I would stand him up on that changing table and then I would get back a little ways and say alright son jump to me and he would have to determine in his mind you know daddy caught me last time but what about this time and you know, I know that dad wants me to jump, but you know, there's, there's three drawers between me and the ground. And he may look down and say, this isn't, you know, uh, he had all these kind of questions and the, and the determination would have to come, would he trust me or not? And the reality is a lot of times we're doing that on a day-to-day basis. God calls us, God directs us, God leads us, and we have to decide, do we have enough faith to trust and follow God. So put there at the top of your notes just the question of how big is your faith. Now to make sure that we all are on the same page, God uses faith in, in, in mainly two different ways. You think about 
in the terms of salvation. It, it requires faith to believe that God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, to take the place of our sins, to die on the cross, to be buried in the tomb, to rise again in the third day. It takes faith to believe that if we call on the name of Jesus, we believe that Jesus is the son of God. We believe that he can forgive us and save us from our sins. It takes faith to believe that salvation is possible. So God talks about in the word about that being a version of faith. The faith to believe in the salvation that God freely bestows upon those who believe. There's that element of faith. But there's also another element of faith having to do with the daily practice of the believer. I'm going to read for you in Romans chapter 1 in verse 16 and 17. This is what Paul says. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he talks about this faith in believing in the gospel message. And then he goes on in verse 17. And he says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what Paul is making the connection is, is not only do you have the initial stage of faith in believing who Jesus is, but then there's an additional stage of faith, which is the daily practical application. And this morning you got up and you by faith believed there was oxygen to breathe. And you came into this facility by faith believing there's would not cave in on you. You sat down in the chair by faith, believing that the chair would hold you up. There are so many things we do on the practical level when it comes to faith. And I believe, I want you to see with me out of Joshua chapter 6, that this whole story you can look at as being a story of faith. Now, you can get into Sunday school classes. It's the fall of the city of Jericho. You've been in the Sunday school classes. You've been in the vacation Bible schools. You have heard this from all different angles. I want to encourage you this morning as we come to this passage, and we're going to read the entire chapter. So we may be here till 2 or 3 o'clock. And I just, you know, it's raining. You ain't got plans. So we can just stay here together. And so the idea is that I want you to look at this passage and ask yourself, what kind of example does this give me about faith? The faith that I have in God, the size of my faith that I have in God, because unfortunately we have too many churches and people that their faith in God is pinned to the success they have in this world. And that's where the name and the claim of preachers come from. They say, you know what, if you have more faith in God, you'll have more money in your bank account. So therefore, if you don't have enough money in your bank account, it means that you have little faith in God. Or they pin their faith in God to their health. Or they pin their faith in God to their happiness. You know, God never promises us happiness. He promises us joy. So we pin our faith through all of these things in the world instead of pinning it to the truthfulness and the promises of God. So what I want to do, and I know this is a little bit unorthodox for me, but here in Joshua chapter 6, I just want to walk us through, and you see there in your notes, five steps that grow our faith. I realize you say, Spence, you can't even get in 45 minutes, much less five, but I promise you... Be quick. So here in Joshua chapter 6, I want you to see with me these five steps that I think point us to faith. Now you can differently. You can look at this differently. You may say, well, I just didn't see um, the exact application or there's more to it than what you saw, Spence. And that's great. But for our time this morning, I want you to see these five steps that talk about how do we grow our faith. The first step that we're going to see there at the beginning of Joshua chapter 6 is listening to God. The first step that I point you to that we see from this text is listening to God. Pick it up with me there in Joshua chapter 6. 
in verse 1 and notice how the narrative continues. It says, now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. Why would that be? Well, if you understand and remember the context of where we're at, God had promised this whole nation of people as the promised land to the Jewish nation. We are talking about Sunday school this morning about the conflict that's happening right now between Israel and Palestine and where it all went back to. I try to keep my mouth shut in Sunday school, but I wanted to say, it goes back to Joshua. It goes back to the Old Testament. That's where the conflict goes when you have a group, whether it's Palestinians or Hamas or whoever is in that region. God says, I'm giving this land to the Jews. The Jews come in. There's going to be conflict. You come into my sandbox and you start playing with my toys, we're going to have a problem. (laughs) We're going to have a little beef. Tucker and I yesterday were tearing a roof off of a house. And I'm, I'm working down this side. And Tucker comes down this side. And Tucker just kind of looks at me like, you ain't supposed to be over here tearing shingles off. This is my area. It's like, well, they all got to come off. I mean, but you always, you think about that. There always has that tendency. And so the people had crossed in over the Jordan River. They crossed through the Jordan River, sorry. And they come into the promised land. They're camped there in Gilgal. They know the, ne- the next place on the horizon is Jericho. Jericho had saw them pass over. And you look back in chapter 1 and it tells us that as soon as all the kings there in the promised land saw what God had done with Israel, leading them through the Jordan, it says their hearts melted. So Jericho, Jericho is shut up. It doesn't matter how big the city is. No matter how powerful the city is, no matter how many people, they realized that God was there and that made them scared. We are not going to reach a community here in Wellston on our own merits or our own abilities. We are going to reach a community in Wellston when they see that God is here. And it talks about listening to God. Let me continue. It says there in verse 2, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city. All the men of war going around the city once, thus you shall, thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bow bear the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn when you hear the sound of the trumpet then all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up everyone straight before him. So Joshua, or let me stop right there. So you think about what is being said. You think about what is going on. God is speaking to Joshua. How many times is God speaking to you? I've had that question before. How do you know the voice of God? How do you know when God's talking? How do you know when God is talking or the indigestion is talking? People ask that question. How do I know the voice of God? And I'm going to tell you, my normal response is, I don't think the voice is always the same for every single person. But I do know that you're not going to listen, you're not going to hear God speak unless you're listening for the voice of God. There are some things that we just don't grasp because we are too busy. We are too busy putting noises and distractions and voices in our life that aren't from God, we don't spend the time that we should or that we need listening to God. 
And in other words, what I'm telling you this morning is that we listen to what we value. It tells us right there in verse 2 that the Lord said to Joshua. In order for the Lord to say to Joshua, Joshua had to be listening. The people had to be willing to listen to Joshua. God was speaking and yet God was speaking to a people that are listening. I don't know about you, but it's easy to get busy. It's easy to get so consumed with time that you come to the end of the day and you're just like, I am wiped out. You're so busy because you have the notifications on your phone. You have the text message. You have the phone calls. You have the social media. You have the news going on. You got the radio going on. We are constantly bombarded with voices and noises. And how much time, how much do we spend listening to God? Now I know the pushback. The pushback is Spence. Well, how do I know if I'm listening to God? I'm going to tell you a great way to hear from God is to read your Bible. It's a phenomenal way to hear from God. Start reading your Bible. Well, how else do I hear from God? You start praying. How else do I hear from God? I put myself under the teaching and the instructions of God's Word. How else do I hear from God? I put myself under godly people that will point me to Jesus Christ. There are all kinds of ways that God is seeking to speak to us. Unfortunately, the problem is, is that very seldom do we listen. We want to grow our faith. You want to grow your faith. It starts by listening to God. So right here at the beginning of this text, God comes in and He speaks to Joshua. And notice, not only does He just speak to Joshua, but He gives Joshua a very specific set of instructions. In other words, I put there in your notes, God speaks through a purpose. So He comes in and He tells Joshua, Alright Joshua, this is what you're going to do. Remember last week, me telling you when Joshua's there by the city walls and he sees the angel, the commander of the Lord's army come and Joshua... They're probably strategizing. How are we going to conquer this? How are we going to take this place? Are we going to go over the walls? Are we going to go through the walls? Are we going to go under the walls? How are we going to starve them out? Are we going to build siege works? Are we going to catch the place on fire? How are we going to conquer this place? And notice when you come in here to the text, God says, I've got your answer, Joshua. This is how you're going to defeat the city. And you notice the process he gave him. You're going to put your soldiers in front. You're going to put the priest with the seven horns next you're going to put the ark of the covenant after that and then you're going to put more soldiers after that and those are going to walk around the city and nobody is going to say a word just the trumpets are going to be blown continually they're not going to play taps they're not going to play reveille they're not going to play the recession they're not going to play some fancy song it's not their school's fight song that they're going to play they're just going to sit there and for the entire time the circuit around the city all they're going to do is blow the trumpets and he was very specific you're going to do that once for six days the seventh day do it six times the seventh time you're going to walk around the city once you completed the circuit around the city then you're going to shout your voices and notice what he tells him the walls will fall down flat back up there in verse 5 now can you imagine Joshua Joshua's listening to God say this and have you ever looked at God or thought you don't have to say this out loud but have you ever thought God are you crazy (laughs) I thought that I sometimes still wonder if God isn't crazy God what are you doing God I don't understand God you know what they're going to say God you know what they're going to think about me God I've never done that before God I have no idea how to do this God I have no clue what it's going to take God I don't understand God I don't see it God I don't agree God I don't like it I have all these rebuttals to come back to God to try to explain to God why he's not on my page and I want him to be on my page 
So can you imagine Joshua sitting there and Joshua's listening to God and you can imagine him listening and downloading this information and God says, all right, Joshua, here's what you're going to do. Here's how you're going to conquer the, the nation, the city of Jericho. You're just going to walk around the city. Can you imagine Joshua's response as he's listening to this? And then further, can you imagine Joshua's attitude when he thinks about what he has to do next? So notice there in verse 6, we see the response. And this takes us to our second step in order to grow our faith. And the second step is this, to follow God's leadership. Notice it says in verse 6, So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let the seven priests bear the seven trumpets of the ram's horn before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. So you can just imagine this. Joshua is listening to God. God says, All right, Joshua, this is what you're going to do. And then Joshua's like, Well, now I've got to go sell it to the people. Now I've got to go convince the people why we should do this. And the people, the text doesn't give us any indication the people that were there when God spoke. Rather, God spoke through or to Joshua in order for Joshua to speak to the people. I want you to remember a principle. God uses people to accomplish his will. God uses people to accomplish his will. It can be just as easy for you to imagine that God could save anybody he wants to save without you and me. But that's not the way God does it. God uses his church to reach the lost. That's why he gave the great commission to the church. It could have been just as easy for God to just supernaturally say, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved, you're going to be saved, and all those things. But God uses people, God uses the church to reach the lost. You're studying in Sunday school class with Mo Wittenberg. You're studying the book of James, or the letter of James. And eventually you get to the point where he talks about caring for the orphans and widows. Wouldn't it be just easier for God to be able to care for the orphan and widows by himself? I mean, God's able. God has enough. He's powerful enough. He knows enough. He knows exactly what they need. Why does God need us? Because God uses people to accomplish his will. When was the last time you thought about what God is wanting to use you for? How God made you you to accomplish His will. How God is looking for you to submit yourself, to follow Him, so He may accomplish His desires through you. So there in verse 6, He says, Joshua said to the priest. And then in verse 7 it says, And He said to the people. So Joshua is needing to come to the people and trying to say, Hey, this is what God wants us to do. And can you imagine the attitude of the people? You're crazy, Joshua. You might have had a fluke coincidence with this river crossing thing. You got that right, great. But you're not going to go two for two. It's not going to happen again. This isn't going to be. Can you imagine the people looking at Joshua saying, Joshua, this is not the best way. There's got to be a better way. You know, too often we measure leadership by the world's success. You measure a pastor by how many people attend the church. You measure a church administrator by the financials of the church. You measure a deacon by the hours he spends serving the church. You measure a Sunday school teacher by how many goldfish he hands out on any given Sunday. We have all these measures to measure the worthiness of people, but we never ask the question, what is God saying to them? See, the danger is we've been burned too many times. 
We all know of stories where we trusted in somebody that said, Thus saith the Lord, and they hadn't heard from God, and yet they were a charlatan sitting up there lying and misrepresenting the people. And we get burned, and we get burned, and the next thing you know, we have people in churches that are full of untrustingness in the leadership because they've been burned too much. And I'm not trying to say that there's shame on you or shame on us for being in that spot. But I am going to say that God is still using people to lead us. And sometimes what we need to think about when it comes to our faith is that we need to remember that following is often harder than leading. Following is often harder than leading. And the problem is, is that we tend to only follow what we agree with. So you can imagine Joshua there in this passage and he looks at the priest, he looks at the people and he says, hey, this is what God has told us to do. We need to do it. And it comes down to a matter of their faith. Are they willing to follow Joshua because they believe they are following God or are they going to do it their own way? And whether they follow Joshua or they follow Korah, or they follow the social media of the day, they're going to be following someone. And whether you follow God's word, whether you follow the popular TV preacher, whether you follow a deacon or a Sunday school leader or a church, somebody in church leadership, you follow this world, you and I are going to be following someone question is, is who are we following? So he tells them, he tells them, this is the plan. So you saw the first step of growing our faith is listening to God. The second step is to follow God's leadership. So then notice when you get down there in verse 8, notice what they do. It says, and so just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven, uh, the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or go out. Um, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city going about it once. And then they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. So not only do we see the first step being listening to God, following God's leadership being the second step, but then notice this third step that I want you to see and that is correct obedience. Correct obedience. You can imagine the people getting together and them saying, okay, so Joshua, this is what God said. Okay, okay, okay. Well, you know what? We don't think that works very well, so we're going to modify that. And you know what? We don't really think that really works out for us in our context. It's not really contextual for our times and our seasons. And so we're going to modify that. And we're going to choose to do this. And we're going to choose to do that. And you can imagine them coming in and saying, well, this is what God's Word says, but we aren't going to follow what God's Word says, and we're going to make it say what we want it to say. Does that sound familiar? We're living in a day and age that people want to redefine God's word. They want to redefine God's word when it comes to sexuality. They want to redefine God's word when it comes to the definition of marriage. They want to redefine God's word when it comes to morality in our schools and in our homes. They want to redefine the prominence and the position of of God in our culture. They want to redefine what God's word says to make it approve what they want to do. 
And you and I can sit around and we can twist Scripture, we can modify Scripture, we can argue with Scripture, we can justify with Scripture, we can excuse away Scripture all we want. But the day of the Lord is coming, as David mentioned this morning in Sunday school. And one day we're going to give an account to God. And He's not going to go to what we think. He's going to go to this is what my word says. And brothers and sisters, I want to remind you, we do not call the plays. You think about a coaching situation and the coach sits down with the team and says, okay, I want you to go here. I want you to go here. I want you to run this route. I want you to be in this position. We do not call the plays. God calls the plays. So the question is, is are we going to be obedient or are we not going to be obedient? Right now, the United Methodist Church is having a huge schism. They didn't meet last year because of COVID, but they're having a huge problem. Because the problem is, is that the Orthodox section of the United Methodist Church says, we do not want to make it acceptable to ordain ministers of same-sex relationships, transgendered identities, or all of those other manipulations that they are trying to do. And the other half of the United Methodist Church says, no, we think that all that stuff's to be accounted for, and they're having whether they're going to split or whether they're not going to split. I'm going to tell you, it's not really a question. It's a matter of what God's Word says. And it's a matter of what God has told us is right and wrong. It's not a matter for us to say what obedience looks like. It's a matter for us to say, will we follow God's Word? We deduce what God's Word is saying. We discern how God wants us to live and apply. And then we decide whether we're going to be obedient or not. And so here in verse 8 down through verse 11, or verse 11, um, 8 through 14, Joshua gets up and the people do exactly what God said. What happened to the days when people did what God said? Now we read God's word looking for a loophole. We read God's word looking for some exception clause. We read God's word trying to say, well, that doesn't apply to me. Oh, that it should be taken contextually. Oh, that doesn't apply anymore. Notice it says in verse 12, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram horn before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them. And the rear guard of the ark was walking after the Lord, or walking I lost my place. Was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did for six days. He's reminding us that this obedience was not a one-time obedience. It was not a two-time obedience. It wasn't one of those things where I've been obedient twice so now I can be disobedient. The third time, correct obedience builds faith. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I sit there and go, God, why does it have to be this way? God, you know, I think I got a better idea. <laughs> God, I got a suggestion. You probably haven't thought about this before. Oh, God, I realize that you're all God, but you know, you got a lot of people to watch out for. So I'm sure you missed this. So let me tell you how we can improve this. You know, sometimes obedience is a test. <laughs> And I know that you can't stand that thought. I can't stand that thought. I know that we, we, we raise our hackle think about this. But could be that sometimes obedience is a test. I think the speed limit should be whatever the vehicle will go. I think that it would be a way of weeding out <laughs> those... <laughs> That don't need to be driving on the road. Walk. Ride a horse. Get a bicycle. I don't care. 
I think it should be a, a means of weeding out. And you know, sometimes I'm driving and I get down to the county line and used to, and I don't think it's this way anymore since I moved back, but used to, right at the county line, it went from 65 to 55. And Luther was sitting right there making sure that you remembered. <laughs> And then it's also sit down the bottom of the hill by the ball fields, making sure you know that it goes from 55 to 45. And they should sit there. And I sometimes I get on the highway and I'm thinking, you know, this vehicle will do more than 65. I, I have the aptitude to do more than 65. And I have the motivation to do more than 65. And none of you are on the vehicle with me, so no one will be able to say that Spence didn't do 65. But maybe it's a test that God is saying, will you be obedient or not? And there's things in your daily life when you wake up in the morning and you know that you need to have a quiet time with God. You don't know why you're supposed to have a daily quiet time. This seems a little archaic. I don't see the reason for that. Why do I got to get up? Why does the preacher think that I should get up every morning and have a quiet time with God? Because it's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of discipline. It's a matter of you getting gut with God before you get with the world. It's a matter of you showing that deference to God to say, God, you are first and I'm going to put you first in my life. It's not a matter of the saying, well, you know what, God, now you owe me or God, now I deserve. It's just you saying, God, I'm going to be obedient and so I'm going to start off being obedient before you. Sometimes obedience is a test. So God comes in and looks at Joshua and he says, alright Joshua, this is what you're going to do. You're going to walk around the city six days once each day. The seventh day you're going to walk around it seven times. This is what I want you to do. And you can say, well God, you could have done it differently. They could have just walked around it once on the first day and then yelled and the walls fell down flat. Sure I could. But where would have been the model of their obedience? Where would have been the model of their testimonies? would have been the model of their faithfulness to me. So they do what God had told them to do. It's amazing what can happen when we just simply do what God says. But then you get down starting in verse 15 and you get the third step that grows our faith and that is faithful actions. Not only in God you have following God's leadership, you have correct obedience, but then you also have faithful actions. What this looks like when it comes to being faithful to God. In verse 15 down through verse 21, the same thing happened. And I'm not going to read it all verse by word by word, but let me just kind of summarize what took place. Is they did exactly what God had told them to do. They got up on the seventh day, they walked around it. Nobody said a word for the six times around it. All they were was blowing the trumpets as if the people on the walls they knew this army isn't showing off who they are. This army is showing off who God is. They're blowing the trumpets to say the presence of God is here. This city will not fall down by man's might. This city will not fall down by military power. This city will not fall down by engineering shrewdness. This city will not fall down by man's ability. This city is going to be conquered by God. I go back to what I remind you this morning. This, this community right here not going to be changed by our abilities. It's not going to be changed by our intelligence. It's not going to be changed by our methodology. It's only going to be changed by the truth of Jesus Christ. By God getting into the people's lives. God changing people's hearts. By God moving in this church and in this community. That is how change will come. And so you see these faithful actions that people got up just like God had told them. They did exactly 
exactly what God told them. And then it says in verse 20, so the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So the people went in the city, every man straight before him, and they, they, and they captured the city. And then they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. They did exactly what God had told them to do. I want you to see with me that faith is a pattern of correct obedience. If you were to ask somebody, how how do we know what is faith and what isn't faith? I would tell you faith is a pattern of correct obedience. The way that we build that faith, the way that we grow that faith is we continue to be obedient to God. We're obedient the first day, we're obedient the second day, we're obedient the third day, and we become obedient to God. I remember, I remember years ago, my mother-in-law making a statement about how a habit takes 30 days to form a habit. And I'm the son-in-law, and I'm honoring by nature. And I said, that's not true. <laughs> it only takes one day for me to form a habit. I mean, you put me on the beach someplace and set me in a chair, and all I'm going to do is sit there, and you bring me food, and you bring me some iced tea, and all I can do is sit there. I can get in that habit fast. It's not going to take me 30 days. You want, you want me to take a, take a liking to uh, Miss Maisel? Is, I don't know if you've had these pecan muffins that she makes. Whew. It don't take you 30 of those. It don't take you 30 days to take a liking to those. It's just like instantaneous. And so what we see here is these people said, we're going to demonstrate our faith in God by living faithfully every single day. And every day you get up and you take a step of faith. Every day you get up and you walk in faithfulness to God. It's these faithful actions that help grow your faith. Because every day you get stronger. Every day you get more motivated. Every day you get closer to God. In other words, time reveals faithfulness. Everybody wants to get to the end of their lives and they want to have a proper legacy. Everybody wants to get to the end of their lives and have the, the sanctuary, the stadium, the gymnasium full of people that come and pay their respects. Everybody wants to get in their lives and believe that their life counted for something. But you know that life is not built upon a day. That life is not built upon a moment. That life is not built upon a certain event. That life is built by daily investing in lives of people. And that is how we grow our faith in God. It's faithful actions. It's correct obedience. It's getting up and doing the mundane task because we know that that is what God is calling us to. It's getting up and doing the same thing over and over and over again. Not because it's exciting. Not because people realize it. Because this is the way you demonstrate your faith in God. Let me give you this last one and we'll be done. Honoring commitments. Honoring commitments. Verse 22, we see the picture of Rahab and her family. Now, if you into the text, you would realize when the two spies came to Jericho, they came upon the house of Rahab. She was the prostitute. She hid them to save them from the leaders in Jericho of finding them, capturing them, and no doubt killing them. And so she hid them, let them out to the window, and the, the, the commitment was, is, hey, if I save your life, then when you come and capture the city, I want you to save my life and my family's life. And so the two spies said, listen, if you will save us in this moment, get us out of this condition, when we come back and everybody else to devote to destruction, we will make sure and spare you. So the whole story is unfolding and, and I wish we could be there to see it because so many times we're just like, oh, no big deal. Imagine you're surrounding a city, 
hundreds of thousands of people outside the city, hundreds of thousands possibly of people inside the city. The walls fell down flat where every person goes up their own. The, the commentators have argued for years about how did this happen. The walls fell out. The walls fall in. How in the world do you have these massive walls fall in such a way that people can just move right in to capture the city? That can, you can spend your lunchtime thinking about that. But the question is, is how does this happen? And all that commotion, it would be easy to imagine people saying, oh, well, you forgot about Rahab, no big deal. But God hadn't got, forgotten about Rahab. And there's Rahabs all around this community that God hasn't forgotten about. God hasn't forgotten about the marginalized. God hasn't forgotten about the ignored. God hasn't forgotten about the dirty. He hasn't forgotten about the wayward. He hasn't forgotten about the backslidden. He hasn't forgotten about the unlovables. He hasn't forgotten about those that so easy a polite society would like to shun and ignore. God has not forgotten and we should not forget either. So it tells us in verse 22, but the two men who spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So verse 23 says they went in and got her. Then verse 24, and they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And then it tells us in verse 25, but Rahab the prostitute in her father's house, and all belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers who Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So you get this picture of honoring commitments. Now you may say, well Spence, why in the world does that factor in to building our faith? And this is what I would tell you. Too many times we make commitments that we don't keep. We make commitments to do something, to be somewhere. We make commitments to be somebody that we don't keep. And what we will so often do is we will make excuses. But I want to remind you this morning, and lovingly as I can, excuses do not correct obedience. It's not one of those things that I'm going to promise you I'm going to do this, but when I don't do that, I'm going to make an excuse. It will be just as if I did do that. That's not the same thing. And so many times we come before God and say, God, if you would just get me out of this problem, I'll go to church. A lot. A lot, 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 lot. I'll go to church a lot, 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 lot. God gets you out of that problem. You go to church once. And then I say something that makes you mad and you don't come back. Or I didn't keep you awake for or someone else said something that you didn't like and you don't come back and the next thing you know somebody says well I thought you were going to go to church oh man I ain't going to that place well, what place are you going to well I really haven't decided yet well it's been like 8 weeks why haven't you decided on something well I just ain't made my mind up no the reality is is that you went once and you decided not to go back again even though you made a commitment to God you decided that I'm not doing that anymore and we don't honor our commitments to God the level of our following our commitments to God is a representation and a demonstration of our faith to God. If you say, I have faith that not only God saved me, but I have faith that God has continued to transform me into one likeness into the other. 
and you believe that God is committed to you, God loves you, God sent his son for you, and you committed your life and placed him as the Lord of your life, back on this day, you can go back and you can look at it and say, this is when I gave my life to Christ. This is when I committed my life to him. Then my follow-up question to you is then what does that commitment look like today? Are you honoring it? problem is is that we don't honor commitments as often as we make excuses and I think that if you're going to come to this text and you're to look at what this text is saying we're being given an example of what it looks like to honor commitments and I think if Joshua was to be here this morning I think Joshua would say something like this we should practice what we expect we should practice what we expect down for Sunday school this morning and I don't know what the conversation was I always come in on the tail end of the conversation that can be dangerous that can be dangerous but I remember well Spence is here so at least we know we'll have a sermon this morning (laughs) but just think about it you all gather in here this morning bright shiny faces ready to stay in on the dry and you can just imagine I didn't show up They'd be like, oh, that's great. We can just sing for the entire time. That would be more enjoyable. Can you imagine what you would say? You'd say, where's Spence? I don't know where Spence is at. Did Spence not say he was going to be here? Well, I don't know. Did Spence call you? Did Spence call you? You'd have all these questions about where Spence is at. And if you finally caught up to me and it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon and Spence is still laying in the bed, you'd say, Spence, why weren't you at church? Why weren't you at church? And I'd say, you know what? I can come to church if I want to come to church. <laughs> you say something like, no, you can't. You have a responsibility. You have a commitment. You have a place to be on Sunday morning. You would expect that from me. But I'm not supposed to expect it from you. Why? I'm committed to the same God that you are. I'm committed to the same truth that you are. I'm committed to the same church that you are. Why? I think Joshua gives us an example of what it looks like to honor commitment. When they came to attack the city, the city fell down flat. They said, we had already given our word to Rahab. We're going to go in and we're going to save Rahab and her family. And not just that, but told them that when the city falls down flat you don't look at the trinkets, you don't look at the people, you don't look and with pity on anybody else, you go in and you devote the city to destruction. So not only they honor their commitment to God by saving Rahab and her family, they also honor their commitment to God by destroying the city as God had told them to do. That is what God told them to do. They honored their commitment to God because of their faith in God. And I wonder that commitment looks like in your life today. Let me just give you three practical ways before I send you out in the rain of how it is that we live this successful life before God. The first thing is this, you see it in your notes, we resemble what we follow. <coughs> we resemble what we follow. So if you're following social media, you're going to resemble social media. Lord help you. If you follow mainstream media, then you're going to resemble mainstream media. Lord help you. If you follow the popular opinion, then you will look like the popular opinion. If you follow the world, you are going to look like the world. 
which means that you're always changing, means you're always insecure, which means that you're always trying to keep up with the Joneses, means you're never going to be enough, you're always going to be lacking, and you're always going to have to be moving the definition of what truth is. We resemble what we follow, and not just that, but that obedience is a discipline. A discipline is something that takes effort. A discipline is something that takes intentionality. A discipline is something that you work at and then you strive at and does not come naturally. Eating is not a discipline. Eating correctly is a discipline. (laughs) Showing up for church can be a discipline, but being faithful to God is really a discipline. Obedience is a discipline. But then let me leave you with this. God never fails. So many times I think that we slack in our commitment to God. We slack in our obedience to God. We slack in our faithfulness to God. We let our faith in God diminish or grow weak because we assume that God doesn't have it figured out. We assume that God hasn't got the plan. We assume that God is not able. And so we assume that we got to help God out. God doesn't know what he's doing. God is not able to overcome the situation. God is not able to bring about the fruition of our prayer. God is not able. And so we look for this world for answers. We look for the parachurch organizations for new methodologies and new gimmicks and new plans. We look for this dynamic speaker over here to say this person has the answers. We look for this educator, this academic to say they have the answers. The new diet comes out and everybody flocks to that diet because... It has the answers. This new toy, this new gizmo, this new widget comes out and we think that is the answer. That solves all of our problems. We're always looking for things in this world to answer the problem that we have so many times because we have already convinced ourselves that God is not able. When has God failed you? When has God let you down? When has not God not kept his word? I wonder, why are you not being faithful to God today? Yesterday there was a number of us that were helping Sean and Charles Sullivan to re-roof a widow's house. Aaron Van was there and Tucker and Tate were there and Eli Wyatt and Luke were there and some others were there. And on one side of the house, it was a, it was a two-story. It could have easily been 60 foot from the peak of the roof to the ground. It was probably close to like 25 or 30, but we get up on this roof and we're tearing this roof off and, and, and one, I don't like heights because the effect that I have when I hit the ground. It's just not pretty. And it's not the falling that hurts, it's the sudden stop that I don't like. And so I just don't I, I just don't care for heights. And so we're up on this roof and as we're tearing this roof off, I'm like, you know, I'm going to get as comfortable as I'm willing to get, but I'm not going to get too close to the edge of that roof. And so as we're tearing these shingles off, it, it became apparent the best way to do it that we surmised that a person get kind of down the roof from you and as you're tearing these shingles that person is catching the shingles and he carries them over, throws them in the trailer and we just keep on about our business. Well, as we start the peak of the roof, we're moving down the roof. Of course, we're getting close to the edge of the roof. And these young guys, these young boys are just walking around. And they're getting close to the edge of the roof. I can just imagine one of them catching a nail, catching a shingle, and... And, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> and you can ask my boys. I had told them, we had this whole little speech on the way 
two there that morning. Hey, I've already been by and earlier to the roof. I'm just telling you, do not fall off the roof. You want to fall off the single-story side? That's a different matter. You fall off the two-story side, it's going to hurt even worse. Don't fall off the roof. I don't want to take you to the hospital. I don't want to pay the bill. We might just patch you up at the house. Just do not fall off the roof. So we're scraping shingles. And here comes Eli. And he gets in front of me. And he's about a foot from the edge of the roof. And I said, Eli, don't fall off the roof. And Eli looks at me and goes, Daddy, I won't fall off the roof. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking, yes, fool, because you haven't fallen off it yet. You do it once and you'll learn. But you know, I'm looking at Eli and I'm thinking... This is the same boy. They used to sit on that changing table. And I wanted him to jump to me. And now he's sitting on a roof. Saying, Dad, I can do this. It's not because of Eli. It's not because of me. It's because of God's faithfulness to us. And that pattern in life comes when you can look back and you can see God's faithfulness in your life. And you realize that God's faithfulness is revealed because of your faithfulness to God. And when you're faithful to God, God is faithful to you. And you look back years later and you see God's faithfulness. And what that does is, is that spurs you on. That drives you on. That you want to keep being faithful to God. I wonder how many of you are here this morning. And God is saying... I can catch this. I can catch you. I can catch your problems. I can catch the situation you're in. Just have faith in me. Trust in me. Jump to me. Bow your heads with me.